0: Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments. Now available on your Amazon Alexa.
1: Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. For today's podcast, we're going to be discussing a number of equities and the key global themes out there in markets at the moment. And to do that, we're kindly joined once more by Alan Green. Alan, thank you for much for being with us today.
0: Hello, John. Good to be back. Hope you had a good Easter.
1: Yes, likewise, likewise. There has been a very brief break in the, in the podcast after the last week. Uh, I know you were away in the New Forest. I hope you enjoyed your break down there. It
0: was great. Uh, weather was good. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, as I say, changes as good as the rest. So, yeah.
1: <laughs> indeed, indeed. So we're back this week, Alan, on the podcast and a particularly uh, interesting podcast we have in store today because... We're going to touch very briefly on the markets and what's happening out there um, in the broader indices, but there's been a number of corporate updates, as well as a couple of IPOs on the horizon, which we're going to discuss. So We'll start off by looking, if we may, Alan, at the FTSE 100. We're trading up today. We were up yesterday, and that was based on a very sharp decline that we saw in Monday's session after uh, the announcements or, or you know, further developments in China, they're sort of looking at lockdowns there and the potential economic fallout. The markets seem uh, to have priced this in uh, very quickly as a, as a flash-in-the-pan concern. I mean, in, in your views, Alan, is there any meat to these Chinese concerns or is it just a case that they ride it out and it's a bit of a non-story?
0: I think it's... Uh, I mean, yeah, the lockdowns, um, I'm sure... The uh, the COVID story is far from finished, uh, John. I think uh, we're going to see more lockdowns, possibly again in this country too, as the year uh, sort of pushes on. Um, and it, it, this is a, an evil disease, and uh, it's uh, it's wreaking havoc everywhere. But uh, it's now the norm. We're used to living with it, and used to used to sort of having to deal with it. But um, I think if if the um, if the vaccine program continues at the pace it has been going, then we can keep on top of it, and we can learn to live with it, and I think that's the best we can say. Um, but one thing that uh, did uh, I did note today was that a drone uh, Chinese drone company has uh, refused to do business with Russia anymore. The first major Chinese company to do so, and I think that's highly significant in the in um, the isolation of Russia, because of course I think um, Xi and Putin prior to or at the end of the winter olympics uh, you know signed a pact or said they would would be working together and there'd be no limits to it but um i'm sure i'm sure g didn't expect to see putin wreaking the havoc on the global stage that uh, he's doing today so of course from that one hopes that um uh, you, you know the, the, certainly the uk ukraine war looks like it's going to be a long drawn out process and um and uh, it's going to continue probably for at least another year. Um, but uh, you know, let's hope that um, it can be contained. And uh, of course, what we're seeing in these market spikes are the um, are the limitations uh, uh, resulting from sanctions imposed on Russia by the global community. Um, and that, of course, uh, is the, the huge increase in energy energy effectively being weaponized with. Russia switching off supplies to Poland and to and to to, to Bulgaria. No doubt other, other countries will follow suit. Um, and of course Germany's moved to supply heavy tanks to the Ukraine. The first time it's it's um it's actively supplied heavy armament to any country since the Second World War. So a lot of highly significant events which are causing markets to move around. But um underneath it all, there is still there's still uh, the very strong fundamentals supporting certainly commodities. Um, with Russia now being taken out of the world market, of course, there's a squeeze on commodity prices, which is pushing up the larger mining companies and and uh, and some of the small explorers as well. Um, and of course, uh, there are the issues with with energy prices too, um, oil prices, and uh, all of the ramifications that uh, that com- comes with that. So. Um, one sector's down and other sectors up. It's quite normal to see that during uh, times such as such as uh, these.
1: Interesting, you mentioned there uh, the suspension of oil. Sorry, gas. Gas being uh, supplied to Poland from Russia and also Bulgaria. This is something that the Europeans have, have left alone in their sanctions so far in in regards to the supply of oil and gas mm. from Russia, uh, mainly because. Anything that we do to hurt that is going to probably cause us more problems uh, than, uh, than maybe Russia, in the, especially in the short term, given the increase in the cost of living. I mean, does that have the potential, Alan, you feel, if it expands to, to other countries, maybe even ourselves here in the UK, given what's happening uh, with the fuel crisis at the moment, does that have maybe the potential to, to really tip us over? In our economic growth here in the UK,
0: yes, it does. Uh, um, but I think uh, I think um, uh, the the world is repositioning. Uh, certainly, the West is repositioning um, to move away from Russia permanently um, in regard to its energy supplies. And of course, you know, if hopefully uh, Putin is overthrown or um, the the war is brought to to uh, uh, an end. Hopefully, at that point, then um, uh, we can resume relations with Russia. Because uh, you know, I think I'm I'm certain that uh, you know most Russians don't want this war, and they don't want to be isolated from the West. Certainly, the young generation don't. But uh, but regardless, uh, yes, it will it will have an effect. It will have a destabilizing effect. Of course, uh, Biden has agreed to, um, to 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 get energy supplies, gas supplies, liquid gas supplies here to the UK, and um, and it, uh, we, th- it really prioritises the development of clean energy supplies, um, which will of course take up some of that slack, but um, there is an interim period of course where where uh, there will be crisis and there may, there may be fuel shortages, which of course we'll get through, but you know, we will get through it, we will, you know, that's the most important thing.
1: Yes, yes. I mean there's lots of factors at play in markets at the moment and I don't think it really reflects uh, when we look at the FTSE 100 this morning above 7400 what's actually happening there. Um we won't go into it now because it's something we discussed uh, in much detail on the podcast but we're looking at, you know, some of the forecasts for rate interest. So interest rate hikes over in the uh the United States that really does have the potential to uh to rock markets going forward. As I said, not going to go into too much now, probably something we'll discuss in later podcasts when we move closer towards uh, the next Fed meetings. But what we're going to focus on now, Alan, is a number of UK corporate updates. you have had a raft of FTSE 100 companies reporting uh, this morning. We're not going to be able to go through all of them due to time constraints. But we're going to pick out a couple of the most important ones. First of all, Alan, Lloyds. Looking at Lloyds, a slight dip in uh, in earnings from the last quarter, um, but significantly up on the uh, on the same quarter a year ago. What's been happening there at Lloyd's?
0: Well, Lloyd's has had had a really good uh, it's had a really good run, and and of course it um it does sort of <laughs> I, living in Seaford on the south coast, um, the Lloyd's Bank that's been here for years. And I mean, I, I've been you know I, I've had a long association with Seaford, and I can remember Lloyd's Bank many years ago. Um, and uh, of course, the, the bank, the branch has closed down here, and it's just the, the, the process of centralization where the branches are retained in, of course, the the larger towns and cities. Um, but uh, the Lloyd's is still very much, you know, uh, and a- along with Halifax, which of course it owns, still very much uh, front and centre um, in the high street, uh, very familiar in the high street, and uh, it's had a, it's had a very good. Um, a very good set of results this morning uh customers are taking out more loans uh group net income rose 12 percent to just over four billion um and over the period the company also grew its mortgage book um up 1.7 billion to 295 billion which is which is a huge vote of confidence i think for the uk property market and of course um the fact that as an island we're a a finite landmass and uh, we have a huge population and there is a struggle always for property so so the the mortgage market is very much uh, very buoyant of course in the background there we've got the spectre of rising interest rates um and uh, but of course most mortgage products nowadays will have uh, will have some insurance uh, against that or uh, it'll be a fixed rate um but uh, it's it, w- I, I very much doubt we'll ever go back to the boom and bust scenario that we saw in the late '80s when interest rates rocketed. I think from from uh, two or three percent up to sixteen percent at one point. Um, so 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 of course that uh, that still plays well into the into the hands of, of the banks and building societies. But Lloyd's, I think, with its spread, um, it's still got uh, it's still the most connected. Uh, bank on the high street in the UK, across the UK, uh, of course, with uh, the Lloyd's branches uh, and, and, and of course, Halifax branches. So um, I think more of the same going forward. Very, very strong set of results. And, of course, the markets do seem to like it today. Shares are up 2.2 percent um, worth holding, of course, even at these levels, um, uh, uh, given the 4.2 percent uh, dividend yield as well.
1: So and looking at the the Lloyd's share price, currently trading around that forty-seven pence. But if we look back to just before the pandemic, we were trading a whisker beneath 70p. I mean, during this period we've we've seen you know the expansion and recovery in the UK economy, and we've also seen an increase in interest rates, uh, which is supposed to help the, the net interest margin of banks, mm. a key measure of their profitability. Yeah. But but still, we're, we're stuck beneath 50p on Lloyds. I mean, what do you feel it's going to take uh, for Lloyds to break up and, and revisit those pre-pandemic highs?
0: well of course the the other the other challenge the banks are facing are the are, are the challenger banks the you know, the challenge the challenge from the challenger banks <laughs> but uh, but of course that uh, that's something that um that will never go away it's uh, it's the same in other markets too of course in this you know the uh, the, the the grocery market you've got sainsbury's and uh, and Sainsbury's and tesco's facing the likes of Aldi and little um you know that, that uh, the banks just have to evolve and change of course they're evolving and changing uh by uh by sort of by cutting down their high street presence offloading the properties and the running costs associated with that and centralizing everything so um so uh will it return um yeah i think i, I think you know the the opportunity to earn more uh income from cash on deposit um that will of course increase and of course uh it will in turn attract more savers that will put more cash on deposit because they'll real the savers will realize that perhaps the areas they were getting money from traditionally, um, isn't paying out as effectively. So actually going back and sticking you know, your money in a bank or building society and getting possibly a couple of percent interest every year is, is attractive. And, uh, um, of course, you're not beating inflation that way, but um, but at least it, you're getting some gains on the cash on deposit. So so all of those factors are, are going to play into this. Um, yes, there is uncertainty going forward, uh, but um, I'm sure at some point, I, I think the shares where they are now, given their, I think the year lows, uh the year lows, of course, uh, um, uh, versus year highs. We're we're looking at a year high of fifty six p. We're not far off that. But I think anything around these levels now, certainly given the strong set of results this morning and a pretty buoyant outlook as well uh, from the bank. Um, I think uh, I think I think offers good value, and of course that dividend yield of four point two percent.
1: Yes, I think I think you allude to it there, Alan. That the dividend yield there of four of uh, percent, I think, is is more than respectable. Uh, as compensation for waiting for the share price uh, to get back above fifty p and towards those those seventy p levels, but it will be interesting to see in their next update uh, what they're able to carve out in terms of uh, profit growth, given uh, a slight dip in the last quarter. So, staying on the on the subjects of dividends is particularly uh, pertinent for the next company that we're going to discuss in GSK, which has actually cut its total year. Dividend by thirty five percent due to a disposal of, uh, of a particular uh, business unit in one of their uh, healthcare units. I mean, what's been happening there in their, in their earnings, um, Alan? I, I can see there's there's a boost in their sales, but I mean, how much do you think that this Cutting the dividend is going to impact investor confidence around GSK.
0: Well, I, th- I think the cut in the dividend might be offset by the decent capital gains. I mean, I, I held GSK shares years ago. But, um, you know, had you picked up the shares um, at the beginning of March at uh, at 14, well, uh, £14.80 per share, you'd have seen a nice, a decent gain. Uh, you know, shares are now trading at uh, £17.78 um, just off the year high of... 18 pounds. So, so you know, there's. I think that disposal um, uh, and the cut, the dividend cut is offset by the capital gain. Um, and this has always been the challenge with Glaxo. I mean, the shares have really, you know, they've not done very little over the over the past few years. But um, certainly, certainly, we've seen that strong gain since March this year. So, any investors looking to Glaxo and buying at that point. Uh, will have done well. And of course, they'll continue to to get that yield. Um, uh, And the first quarter sales certainly were very impressive indeed, beating expectations up 32% to just under 10 billion. Um, And uh, 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 commercial operations grew very strongly. Consumer healthcare sales rose 14%, um, uh, giving the group an underlying profit uh, increase of 39% at 2.6 billion. And that beat analyst expectations across the board so that's why we've seen the share price pop higher today the dividend will be 14p um so that's um that's uh, that's encouraging and the group uh, continues the outlooks very strong full year revenue growth uh, between 5 and 7% on the year um, and uh, and uh, profit growth of between 12 and 14% but certainly certainly uh, you know GSK is, um, is it seems to be fitter uh, um, uh, slimmer and stronger as, as a result of the disposal. Um, whether it can push above the year high of £18 pounds per share remains to be seen, so um, some investors may want to wait until uh, the euphoria over the numbers today dies down a bit and uh, pick up the share perhaps uh, perhaps a little closer to £17. Pounds. It may well retrace, but looking at the charts certainly since March, there have been a series of higher lows propelling the shares higher, so I'd say probably if it comes back to uh, seventeen or maybe just under dips just under to sixteen pounds, then that would be a good opportunity to pick the shares up for ongoing ongoing growth uh, later in the year.
1: Yes, I mean just looking through this report here, Alan, it's very difficult. I mean, if you were to crudely put GSK in a basket of a growth stock, a value stock, or an income stock, you know, looking at what they're doing today, it'd be very difficult because you said the shares haven't done a great deal. For years, you know, they've been trading in a you know a relatively tight range. Yeah, um, haven't haven't had much divergence from that. But we're seeing, you know, quite promising sales figures there, which suggest growth. Whilst they're they're looking at trimming the the income element of uh, of, of of holding the stock. So that's another one too. I think keep an eye on just to see how they perform going forward and whether indeed, uh, you know, the next quarter does produce such. Such strong growth figures because that would be really encouraging it, for uh, the
0: BSK. Interesting to see too that if you look at the five-year chart, the the uh, the five-year high is eighteen pounds forty-six pence. So we're not far off that at the moment. But the five-year low was the uh, was the, the the low at uh, the end of February, um, the the end of February uh, last year. So very strong recovery since then. So um, so so yeah, I, I think we're we're seeing we're seeing the stock approach year highs now. With having offloaded, having offloaded that uh, that uh, the the, the asset, we may well see uh, the shares push higher and maybe maybe test those five year highs again. Um, but uh, as I say, investors may want to wait for uh, for the euphoria to die down after the figures, and of course uh, uh, the opportunity to pick the stock up before it goes ex ex uh, dividend.
1: Yes, yes, I think probably want to have a look at at any weakness in that particular particular stock, Alan, so we're going to touch very quickly now on Twitter because it was one that we discussed on the podcast uh, a few weeks ago. Alan when Musk took his nine percent stake I've uh, just confirmed in the last few days that he's now going to be taking taking over Twitter. I mean this is something that, that we use quite widely you use it quite widely as well Alan I mean what's your views as a, as a user uh, of of Twitter uh, for musk taking over the social media platform
0: well I, th- I think there are issues on usability and one could just put it down to quirkiness maybe uh, you know a lot of uh, you know when you're dealing with technology companies like twitter of course the um the the, the uh, engineers and the techs that uh, that uh, design the platform um have have their own view on how it should work and and often that view uh makes it a bit quirky uh, you know makes uh, Leaves out something that's obvious, like an edit button. And I think um, I think Elon Musk, he's a he's a he's a practical, pragmatic investor. And I think if he sees he can improve something, uh, he'll go in there and do it because he's got limitless amounts of money to enable him to do that. Um, uh, But of course, you know, people are now saying that Tesla shares are tanking. and uh, and uh, perhaps uh, Musk should reconsider, but I don't think that will dissuade him in any way, shape, or form. Um, but yeah, I do think I do think the takeover would be a very good idea. Um, and with Musk at the helm, I think uh, Twitter will become more user friendly. And it's it's huge. I mean, it's uh, certainly for um, for uh, uh, people in business and certainly in the financial markets. Uh, John, you know, Twitter's a key part of what we do, and I know it's a key part of what you do, because, of course, uh, when you're looking at price sensitive information um, and, uh, and uh, you know, stock share prices that are moving all the time, Twitter is an instant way to express an opinion or get a view out there. So actually improving the user experience, I think, is, is, is very important. It's pretty good. Um, and of course, it's quirky. You get used to using it that way. So I'm sure if, Musk comes in, and makes some changes, then we'll we'll all moan about having to uh, adopt the changes. But actually, I think any changes he makes will improve the user experience and make it easier for everyone to use. So, um, and I, I do believe it will go through. I, you know, I think once once he sets his mind on something, he'll get it done.
1: Yes, I think I think the deal will get done. Uh, It'd just be interesting to see how things develop going going forward. I mean, me personally, I don't really have any problems with how it is at the moment. But I think one of the big things that he wants to do is, uh, you know, be an advocate for for free speech. So it'll be interesting to see how that the topics change around that. And one of the key things is he's looking at removing uh, the bots on there, which will improve everybody's experience on Twitter. So that will be certainly something that's interesting to see how that pans out um, going forward for the rest of the year so Alan now we have to finish things off we've got two IPOs uh, set to list here in London so we're going to start off with the first one uh, Lyft Global Ventures it's going to be going on to the Aquis and if I'm correct Alan it looks as though the first day of trading is going to be this Friday
0: it is indeed uh, John yes yes indeed uh, so Lyft Global Ventures um, uh, headed up by Zach Meir. Of course, everyone knows Zach. Um, I've worked with Zach for many years and uh, and uh, we're sort of, uh, we have a long, long association. Um, and Zach, uh, I think, has spotted the gap in the market and rightly so. And he's seen an opportunity to uh, put together a consolidation vehicle for um, some of the operators and companies offering technology and communication solutions uh, within within the sector so um zach of course has has uh, has been sort of front and center of the sector for many years um but without with with developing technology with new technologies coming into the communication process uh new platforms um you know we're we're all evolving all the time um and he's seen opportunity opportunity to fuse some of these platforms together and of course you know, they there's a, there's a set a very good precedent earlier in the year. Aberdeen Asset Management uh, acquired Triple um, I uh, Interactive Investor for one half billion. And uh, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm going all the way back now. When I started Share Crazy, of course, we sold that to a fund management group in 2007. Um, and uh, Share Crazy was a series of bulletin boards that we developed with a share trading platform, and uh, we sold it on. Interactive Investor um, have gone through a number of iterations, but uh, it then became a destination portal where you could go and obviously chat to other investors, um, trade shares, trade forex, uh, uh, um, lodge your pension, um, and basically do everything financial with them. So it became a go-to platform, and of course... Aberdeen Asset Management saw how they could utilise that uh, and and develop it further. So, so um, this is a an opportunity for Lyft to do the same um, in a slightly different way. And I think uh, the company is floating at three p. Um, and I believe there are there were some late investment opportunities uh, for uh, for pre IPO investors to participate. Um, investors would get a, a third warrant, uh, so a warrant for one one for every three shares at 6p. So the company flows at 3p. And uh, obviously there's further opportunity for uh, pre ivo investors who participated at 6p. Um, and of course, the, 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 the company can't say what it's going to buy, what it's going to do, but it's it set its stall out. There's a very good website, liftgv.com, uh, that you can go and look at um, and understand what the group are trying to do. Um, just a bit more about the board. Um, Zach, I've already spoken about. Of course, Paul Gazard is the chairman. Um, he's been with Panmure Gordon Asset Management for eight years um, previously, and he's involved with a number of A-listed companies at senior executive level, um, and he's well known around the city. And then Tim Daniel, uh, of course, is the FD. I, I met both Tim and Paul at um, at uh, a launch due before Christmas last year. Um, Tim has been involved. Uh, uh, with with a number of hedge funds across the years and um, he was uh, Chief Financial Officer at uh, Amnesty Equatorial Palm Oil a few years back um, and he's been working in the city for many years. So so the three of them together, a very good team uh, uh, to, to, to get the company off the ground, start making those acquisitions and consolidating in the sector. So yeah, an exciting IPO.
1: Yes, and... Uh, Quite fittingly, actually, I'm going to be speaking to CEO of the Aquis Exchange later on today. So that interview will be out on uh, the UK Investor Magazine website uh, in the the coming week. Uh, For anyone that's not familiar with the Aquis Exchange, there should be some some deep insights into them, what they're trying to do for for small companies uh, and growth companies such as uh, Lyft Global Ventures. Do check that out uh, when that's on uh, on the website. So the second IPO, Alan, is Spectrum. X. Can you tell us a little bit about them, please?
0: Yes, yeah, certainly. spectrumx um, are coming to market. Uh, believe the IPO valuation is around fifty million uh, when it comes to comes to market um, uh, in a few months. Um, and uh, uh, you'll have heard, or most people will have heard by now, about of hypochlorous acid, um, which is uh, it, it's um, it, it's something developed from um, basically from white blood cells, and um, it's completely. Uh, it doesn't smell, uh, you, you, it has no taste, it's, it's, it's basically like water. But hy- hypochlorous acid kills 99.9% of all known pathogens, bacterial, fungal, um, and it's all part of our natural defense system. Um, and Spectrum mi- antimicrobials in California have been working on developing uh, developing uh, a solution uh, or developing uh, hypochlorous acid-, acid into a solution. And of course, they they have... Uh, developed a range of products now, um, which uh, which I've seen, and they're extremely effective. Um, part of the issue, of course, with hand sanitizers that we've been using uh, across the past few years with COVID is that they're all alcohol-based, and of course, particularly in uh, in the NHS where you're using hand sanitizers all the time, um, alcohol can chap your hands and it can make your hands sore and 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 you know create it creates a number of problems like that. That. There's no such issue with uh, with the, the Spectrum X offering. Um, and Spectrum X have a number of uh, of, as, uh, of um, uh, solutions in this area. You've got the uh, Spectroceptor hand sanitizer, which um, which uh, the NHS have now adopted. Um, it's being used at major hospitals up and down the country, um, including the Chelsea and Westminster Hospital and West Middlesex Hospital. And in fact, um, the uh, uh, Dr. Gary Davis at Chelsea at Westminster said the Feedback from staff on uh, on using uh, the uh, on using uh, uh, has been overwhelmingly positive. Um, it's all halal certified in line with Islamic law too, which is also very important, uh, certainly for the for the Middle East and Asian markets. Um, and um, the, uh, the the company from this has also developed a range of cosmetic products. Um, Spectre skin, and also, of course, uh, um, many premises now use fogging as a, as a means of killing bacteria and killing any COVID particles or other disease particles, such as in hospitals, uh, MRSA and others, in the air using spectrumist mist. Um, and all of these these products have been featured regularly in the national press. There was something in the Evening Standard a few weeks back, uh, which which looked at look, looked at the opportunity so so that's the spectrumx direct covered um on the medical side um they've developed a a groundbreaking uh treatment for uh for uh, respiratory uh diseases um and uh and, and other applications it's called spc069 um and it uh, treats all of the, it treats uh, and kills all major diseases it's undergone through, um medical trials at the university of Innsbruck. um but it also compares very favorably. Uh, uh, of course, the uh, aim company Synergen has been developing a similar product uh, using um, uh, an interferon beta process. Um, and this has proven uh, it, it, uh, it, it basically failed in its final tests. Um, it proved to be very expensive. Um, the the, Synagen, uh, the Synagen, uh, um products cost roughly £2,000 per patient, um, whereas the Spectrum X SPC 69 costs a fraction of that, if anything at all, to treat patients and is one hundred percent effective. It's already it's already passed. It's already undergone in vitro testing and it's passed all of the all of the tests. So so all of the boxes are ticked in that regard. The company is coming to market um, in the run up to the IPO. The company has appointed Barry Saint um, as the uh, chief financial officer. Um, and Barry is formerly uh, chief financial officer in Divio, the First Two Hundred and Fifty company, and also worked with a number of early stage biotechs. And also, uh, uh, Deborah Reeves has been appointed as a non-exec director, and Deborah is uh, non at Cambridge Cognition, Atelrix, and she's also uh, been on the boards of Pfizer, GSK, G Healthcare, um, and uh, has a has a very impressive track record in this area. So. Again, coming to market very shortly, um, there is, again, an opportunity for investors to participate in this. If you go to the SpectrumX website, that's SpectrumX.com, um, there is a, a button on the toolbar, Investor Relations, where high net worths and sophisticated investors can participate in the in the pre-IPO investment opportunity uh, you need to complete the request for information form and and then uh, somebody will contact you in regard to your interest so yeah coming to market very shortly Spectrum makes.
1: Is there any indication Alan on, on when it will come to, to to market I mean is it a, a matter of weeks or months? I, I,
0: I think we're looking at uh, by the end of the first half of the year that's, that's my understanding it could be sooner than that
1: Okay Perfect. Um, so as Alan detailed there, something to, to check out if you're interested in pre-IPO. Opportunity. So just a recap of the equities that we've discussed today. First of all, was Lloyd with, of course, a ticker of LLOY. It was then a GlaxoSmithKline with a ticker of GSK. And it then was Lyft Global Adventures with a ticker of LFT and to finish off with Spectrum X, which is yet to have a stock exchange ticker, but I'm sure we'll have one in the very near future. Alan, thank you for joining the podcast today. Thank you, John. Just as a note to listeners, we have the next installment of our virtual conferences coming up next week on Tuesday. It's going to be an investment trust conferences and there's going to be fund managers, uh, presenting from MG and g Investments, uh, Premium Whiteton and Aberdeen. So if you're interested in investment trust, definitely something that is worth checking out and you can register in the events tab on the UK Investor Magazine website. Thank you very much.
0: We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player.